0: So tomorrow afternoon you come home from work and you can tell something kind of exciting has happened because the super troopers are a little riled up. They have a little bit more energy and they're acting a little bit crazier than they normally do. And you're greeted with the information of something that you could have never anticipated. It's powerful information. It's information that you honestly would have never thought to pray for. But God answered this prayer, and you realize, you know what? That was an unspoken prayer. I really wanted this to happen, and it did. And your children are the first ones to let you know because when they got home from school, they noticed that there was a note on the fridge. And they checked the fridge because there's chore charts there. There's what they can and can't do after school there and a few other things. But they find a note on the fridge, And again, against all of your expectations, but yet also meeting your deepest desire that you may have never even prayed for, it's a note from God, and it's for you and your family, in his handwriting, saying some things that are awesome about you and your family and saying some things that, honestly, you kind of need to pick it up a little bit. And you read the content of this note, and it resonates deeply with you. It causes you great joy, but it also challenges you. And the bottom line is, it messes you up for the rest of your life. And you know how the stuff on your fridge like never moves? You think that note is ever going to move? That note is never going to move. If Jesus were to come to your house tomorrow while you're at work and write a note and stick it on your fridge, here's some things I love about you guys, and here's some things you need to pick it up a little bit, that note is going to stay stuck to your fridge forever. I'd like to share with you briefly this morning, seven notes left on the fridge of seven different churches, and here's what's going to happen Because it's part of the text, it's a biblical promise. Every single time Jesus left a note on the fridge to a first century church in the book of Revelation, chapter two and chapter three, every single note ends with this phrase Let those who would hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches listen up. And so, what's gonna happen is as I share the seven words of motivation, the seven words of encouragement, very, very briefly, there's a really good chance that one of these seven words is going to strike home and you're going to hear, it's going to feel like a message from the Lord. It's going to feel like the Holy Spirit is actually talking to your heart. It's going to feel like he wrote a note on the fridge of your life. As we review the seven notes, the seven fridge messages, the seven fridge memos that are found in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, I'm going to cover all seven. I'm going to spend about two minutes per message, and we're going to move on. The first note is to a church that was found in Ephesus, and if we were to just quickly summarize, summarize the church that was in Ephesus, we would say that it is a church that had abandoned their first love. And interestingly enough, Jesus says something good about each church. He says something that needs to be worked on for each church, and then he gives a promise to each church. Ephesus is like, well, Ephesus is like we were with our first car. Mine was a 1985 Ford Fiesta, four speed, and I loved it because it got me places. (laughs) It meant that I could go to work, it meant that I could go on dates with my wife, I could drive myself to school, ultimately, drive myself to college. In short, it meant I could get away from home. (laughs) I didn't care what the car looked like, felt like, smelled like, drove like, as long as it had gas in it and air in the tires. It got me where I was going. There is still a soft spot in my heart for junky little Ford Fiestas. There's a real good chance you feel the same way about your first car, too. Maybe you saved up some money for it. Maybe it was something that was given to you. Maybe it was something that you earned. The bottom line is the love that you have for your first car has nothing to do with the car. It has everything to do with the freedom. It had everything to do with being able to get out from underneath your parents and be who God had you to be. That's why we love our first cars. It's not the car, it's the freedom. The church of Ephesus was focused on the car. Originally, they had a relationship with Jesus Christ and they loved serving him in any venue that he would provide. It didn't matter, they were that kind of church. And then they became a church that was driven by programs, doing certain things really well, providing certain services at certain times. And then they became a church where all they thought about was doing programs well. They polished the car, they tuned the car, they waxed the car, they vacuumed the car, they serviced the car, and it didn't really matter where the car was going because it was more about riding in the car. And Jesus says, return to your first love. Here's the promise to the church in Ephesus. Anyone who has an ear to hear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Why does Jesus promise eternal life via eating from the tree of life to the church in Ephesus? Because at the end of the day, as important as the journey is, the destination matters more. That there is eternal life, and one day, We, as will the church that was in Ephesus, we will arrive. (laughs) We will reach our eternal home. It matters how we get there, obviously, but we need to never forget that we're going there. And that's why he promises the right to eat from the tree of life. He reminds them of the promise of eternal life. Take care of the programs. Take care of the church. Take care of the meeting place. Take care of the stuff. But don't forget why we're doing it in the first place. It's the joy of the relationship. The church of Ephesus. Moving on in Smyrna, we find that that church was poor, and they were persecuted, didn't have a lot of resources, and they were going through some very difficult times. And by difficult times, I mean people were being separated from their stuff, physically wounded, and actually killed. I'm not talking about they had a headache. I'm talking about a really, really difficult times. Here is what Jesus said says to the church in Smyrna, if I were to summarize it, basically he says, don't make the same mistake that the disciples made. And the, one of the mistakes that the disciples made was confusing our life circumstances as the ultimate evidence of sign and favor from God. Because the long story short is, if I were to just jump the gap real quick to North America and River Church, we're North Americans. We are the 1%. When you look at the whole world, anyone who's born in this nation is the 1%. In the eyes of the world, there is nothing about us that is poor or persecuted. If anything, we are rich and the ones who are doing a certain degree of persecution. Jesus says, don't make the same mistake that the disciples made, which was assuming that the Pharisees were close to God because their life circumstances were comfortable. That faith moves powerfully through people who are poor and persecuted. In fact, this promise is what is given to the church in Smyrna, found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. Whether we are poor, whether we are persecuted, whether we think we are poor or persecuted, the bottom line is we are all have the capability of being people of faith regardless of our life circumstances, and there is a promise of eternal life for all of us. The church in Pergamum, also a persecuted church, but their persecution led to them accepting false teaching. It's a persecuted church that had embraced false teaching. And to kind of summarize the way the believers in this church were thinking was that because it's hard being a Christian, because my workplace is not favorable to being a person of faith, because I get made fun of in school, because there are members of my family who make life a little bit challenging for me, because I'm a person of faith, it is only fair that there's certain sins that I don't call sin that I indulge myself in because for the vast majority of my life, I'm doing the right thing, and I'm being persecuted a little bit for it. That because I'm a Christian and I'm dedicated towards a life of righteousness, that I'm entitled to a little something-something on the side that maybe we know doesn't please the Lord, but honestly, it comforts us. It's our drug of choice, if you will. It makes us feel better on the days where honestly, it just kind of feels like the world is out against us because we are a person of faith. Listen to the promise to the church in Pergamum. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the promise to the church found in Pergamum, that there is hidden strength found in obedience. That when we are obedient, that the Lord will meet our needs first intimacy with him, for connection with him that will never be met by deciding that we owe ourselves a little something-something on the side, that there is hidden strength found in our obedience, that the Lord draws close to us in a special and a unique and a powerful way when we push through the persecution that we are subject to in our lives for the simple fact that we are people of faith. The church in Thyatira... (laughs) This was a church that Jesus says, you know, you're doing a really good job, but here's something that uh, we need to work on. You have fully embraced a false teacher. And this false teacher is leading people in the church down paths of sin, and I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with this false teacher. This church was so loving that there were no boundaries to their acceptance. There was no boundaries to their tolerance. They wouldn't say no. And here's what Jesus is basically reminding this church and reminding River Church, that the children that we love are the ones that we discipline. The children that we don't love, they get to run down that steep bank towards the rocks at the bottom. The children that we don't love, they get to run towards the road as fast as they want. The children that we don't love, they, they get to go swim in beach pond unsupervised. As much fun as those things might be for our children, running down the hill at breakneck speed, running across the road, or swimming unsupervised, there's no way we would ever let our children do that. Why? Well, the children that we love, we discipline. (laughs) The children that we love, sometimes we raise our voice. The children that we love, we sometimes punish. There are limits to our tolerance. It's not loving to not discipline. Sometimes the greatest evidence of our love is our discipline, and that's true in a church too, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying to this church. It's fine to be loving, but with love comes limitations to what we tolerate and put up with. Otherwise, we're not being loving anymore. We're allowing the church to pursue sinful paths. The promise, the one who is victorious and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. Sounds awesome. We're a loving church. We'd like to have more and more authority in our community, yay. And he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. What? We don't want to whack anybody with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. What? We don't want to break anybody with like shards of pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. The church in Thyatira was promised to rule, (laughs) understanding that shepherds carry a stick for beating wolves and poking sheep. That's what good shepherding involves, that our love sometimes is expressed by our discipline. It's a note that Jesus left on the fridge. The church in Sardis, Sardis is very easy to summarize. They were dead. (laughs) There was no worship or life going on in that church at all. They were just existing. They were just coasting. And the word to the church in Sardis is do something. What you do matters. Here's the promise to the church in Sardis. In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. The bottom line is Jesus wants to brag about the church in Sardis. Give me something to brag about. <laughs> you meet once a week. Perfect. You keep the heat turned on. Perfect. Give me something to brag about before my father. Do something. To excite faith in your community. The Church of Sardis, they were coasting. They were dead. They needed to be reminded that what they did mattered. The Church in Philadelphia, here's the message to the Church in Philadelphia. He doesn't ascribe anything that needs to be improved to the Church of Philadelphia because they're going through a very difficult time. Here's the message that I'm summarizing for the Church in Philadelphia just hold on, (laughs) just stay strong. And here's the word, I think, for River Church. There are those among us, I think, sometime, whether it's because we don't feel like we know much about what the Bible says or we don't have many resources so there's not much that we can share or our job requires that we have to be away for a long time. Uh, long story short, or maybe there's drama going on in our personal lives, relationships that are ending, uh, things that are happening that are just kind of overwhelming us. And when we come to church, we we feel like we don't even really belong at church because there's nothing that we can, we don't have any strength or anything to contribute at all. And, and here's the promise that we find to the church in Philadelphia. Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia, just hold on. What is the promise to this church? That that's all they can do is just hold on. What is the promise? The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Don't miss this. In eternity, in the center of the eternal kingdom, in the center of the temple, holding and supporting the temple will be saints of God with different names of God representing him and who he is inscribed on them They're the most stable thing in eternity. They're the most stable people in eternity. The ones who felt like they had nothing to contribute. The ones who felt overwhelmed by life circumstances are the very ones upon whom the temple roof is supported by these people. In the center of the temple, in the center of the city, in the center of eternity, with the name of God inscribed on them are the very ones who are just trying to hold on. The Lord is going to use that in someone's life today. And finally, in Laodicea, it's the church that's made famous because Jesus says, I wish you were hot, I wish you were cold, but because you're neither, I'm just going to spit you out. They were lukewarm. It's a word to churches who have lost their passion, and the encouragement to the church in Laodicea is find it. (laughs) Get passionate about something, be known for something. To the victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father, who is on his throne. Lukewarm is not going to hang out in the presence of God, is what we find. The ones who are closest to God are going to be the ones who are kind of passionate about something. And to the church, find something that you're passionate about and leverage it. Do not be too hot or too cold, but be passionate. So what is the Spirit saying to River Church today? Seven words that were left on the fridges of seven churches in the first century. Hopefully one of those or maybe more resonated with you this morning. But what specifically is River Church saying to the, is God saying to River Church today? As the pastor of River Church, arguably we can make the case that it's my, if anyone has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, it should probably be my ears, right? It should probably be my heart, probably be my mind. I should probably have some idea at any given moment what the Holy Spirit is saying to River Church Here's what the Holy Spirit is saying to River Church. What are the chances that the very year we need a new location for the tough buddy, we get a new location? What are the chances that the very year we need a new location for the tough buddy, we get a new location and it's free? What are the chances that the very year we need a new location for the tough buddy, we get a new location, it's free, and there's plenty of parking? What are the chances that there's a tent that we can meet under that we didn't set up? What are the chances that we can just plug into power that was brought out into the middle of the field? What are the chances that there's a brand new ropes course built on that property? Are you tracking with me? What is the Holy Spirit saying to River Church? What are the chances? What are the chances that we find a new location that can feed us lunch? What are the chances we can find a new location that can offer food service to our guests? What are the chances? There's no chance. God is clearly speaking to River Church today that we are to leverage this event for his honor and his glory because if he can provide all of that, surely we can show up and serve, right? And we have. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. A couple pieces of rope. What are the chances that River Church would have a pastor who actually knows what a lineman's knot is? What are the chances that River Church is the kind of place that gets excited about digging mud pits? What is the Holy Spirit saying to River Church? Leverage the tough body. I've provided everything for it. What are the chances that 250 people signed up by noon yesterday, now it's through 300, just from people calling us saying we still want to come? What are the chances? What is the Holy Spirit saying to River Church? leverage the opportunity that we have today to be the church and i mean not just what's happening inside under this tent which is awesome and holy and important but i mean in every interaction this afternoon as the lord would give us favor right he's provided everything for us today and we have showed up to serve the lord is telling river church well done Because as you leverage who you are and what you do, I will provide in ways that you could never imagine. Right? We're sitting here and it's wonderful. So my heart is filled with joy and gratitude for you guys today. I'm so grateful for what God is obviously doing. We're going to trust him with the safety of the day and the fruit of the day. And it's our job to just basically continue in an attitude of worship all day long, whether it's singing the closing song, praying the final prayer, or putting water in a mud pit, or tying a rope, or helping a child with a craft project, or helping someone find where they need to go next, that will maintain an attitude of worship throughout the day, because what are the chances? As your pastor, I think the Holy Spirit's speaking pretty clearly to us today. One final verse and then I'm done and we'll wrap up our time of worship this morning and move on for the rest of the day. Romans chapter eight, verses 16 through 17. Here's what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Some of us are suffering a little bit this morning. Some of us are not. But God is calling us to draw close to him as his children, understanding that sometimes children are disciplined, sometimes children are cuddled. But at the end of the day, God is calling us closer to him because we are co-heirs with his son Jesus by faith. So this morning, we might need to make a few decisions regarding what we've heard the Spirit talk to us this morning, whether it be for salvation or rededication or just cleaning up some areas of our life or conversations that we know we need to have. But I pray that you found this encouraging. I pray that it motivates your heart of worship for the rest of the day as we have the privilege of being together as a church and making new friends. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for providing for us in a very unique way. Have you provided for a church in the continental United States like you've provided for River Church today? Maybe. We don't know. I guess we have all our eternity to hear those stories. But we are the first to acknowledge that what you're doing today is very special, it's very unique, it's very affirming, it's very convicting that as serious as we take the tough buddy, Lord, you must take it so much more seriously to have lined up all of these things for us before we knew we needed them. So Father, we pray for safety today. We pray for decisions of faith, not just from folks who are known as River Church, but for everyone who comes. We pray for blessing on this property and the owners that have made it available to us. Father, we hear your spirit speaking to us in this hour. We pray that we will continue to hear your voice throughout the rest of the day and this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.